Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we're into extra time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program brought to you by RNZ Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. Well, there's plenty to talk about today with Amelia Kerr's record-breaking knock for the White Ferns cricket team, as well as the start of the Football World Cup in Russia. But first, as usual, let's talk about the All Blacks. Joining me is RNZ rugby reporter Joe Porter. Joe, uh, we've got an unchanged All Blacks lineup this week. That's the first time since the 2015 Rugby World Cup semi-final and final. The biggest surprise, though, that there's the sudden return of Sonny Bill Williams. Sonny Bill Williams back, and that's yeah a Lazarus-like return for him. Not expected to be back for the series, but he's come back earlier and could almost have been selected for this test. The All Blacks have resisted that option and will bring him back for the third and final test in Dunedin. But he's been running around with the team, bringing enthusiasm and excitement back to the to the midfield in particular. So it's good to have a character and a man with that kind of mana back in the team. So certainly um, a boost for the side, even though he's not playing. And uh, France suffered quite a few injuries last week, but they welcomed back quite a bit of experience, which uh, comes at a very good time for them. Yeah, interesting. The All Blacks, like you say, have had an unchanged lineup, first time for three years or so in consecutive tests. So they were obviously trying to build those combinations, and Hansen must have liked what he saw in the second half of last week when the All Blacks really did run away with it. So I guess he wants to carry on with that winning momentum, hopefully get that same group of players to be slightly more accurate and build those combinations. The French will be a bit of a different beast this week. They've welcomed back five fairly senior players who were involved in the top 14 French club final and missed the first test. So uh, uh, def- they'll bring energy and experience back back into the team and some in-form uh, players as well because, of course, they're both involved in the final. Um, and it makes the team a stronger outfit. However, they haven't had a test. They're over here. They've come from a French climate, so that could play a role as well. But they'll be there's a bit of bad blood there after what happened last week with the uh, high shot on Remy Grosso fracturing his face. So I think the French will be fairly motivated if not by wanting to improve on their own performance, at least by wanting to get one back over the All Blacks in what they thought was a fairly one-sided and unfair test last week. Yeah, given all that has happened in the last week, uh, if you're a betting man, what would uh, be your outcome or prediction for the outcome uh, this Saturday at uh, Westpac Stadium? I mean, the, the test was really ruined last week by that contentious yellow card in the 50th minute. The All Blacks scored two or three tries and then ran away with it from there. So, you know, you don't get that that French player in the bin. Do the All Blacks still win? Yes, in my mind, but probably not by quite so much, and it may have taken them a little longer to break the French down. So the French can take confidence from that, that for the first 50 minutes they were leading the All Blacks. So we all know they're going to have to do it for 80 because the All Blacks in the last 20 will dominate. This week they should be a far more accurate and clinical side. So the French will probably have to produce one out of the bag to win this one. Usually the best shot of a touring side is against the All Blacks in the first test. However, Wellington, the British and Irish Lions did it last year, so you never know and if you know a red card turned that match something like that could happen again, but I do think it will 
The French will need that to happen if they are to win this test. They will need something like a red card to the All Blacks or some other kind of dramatic moment because I really don't believe they'll come within 20 points. I think the All Blacks will kick on from what they did last week in the second half. They'll come out and produce a better performance from the first whistle. And I think that by 60-minute mark, the French will be run off their feet and the All Blacks should probably put another 20 points on them, I'd say, this week. Thanks, Joe. Enjoy the game. Wellington teenager Amelia Kerr turned in possibly the greatest all-round performance in international cricket, scoring an unbeaten double century and taking five wickets in the White Ferns' latest win over Ireland. Still just 17, Kerr racked up the highest score in a women's one-day international when she made 232 not out as New Zealand beat Ireland by a whopping 305 runs in Dublin to sweep the three-match series. Kerr hit a six off the last ball to break the 21-year-old record and also became the youngest player to hit a double century in an ODI. Here's Clay Wilson with more on the White Ferns' teenage star. Amelia Kerr didn't even know she'd broken records so it's unlikely she had picked up on the uncanny connection between her history-making score and the suburb where she has grown up perfecting her craft. 232 is also the dialing code for Tawa, and Kerr's principal Murray Lucas says the symmetry has not been lost on them. We've always been 232, and there's a youth group at a local church that's got 232 on it, so the number probably couldn't be more fitting for someone that's grown up and lived in Tawa all her life. Kerr hit two fours and a six from the final three balls of the New Zealand innings to break a 21-year-old record held by Australian Belinda Clark, one of the greats of the women's game and a player who captained her country to two World Cup crowns. It wasn't until after her astonishing innings, though, that Kerr came to learn the calibre of the player she had overtaken in the history books. I wasn't born until 2000, but um, yeah, I didn't actually know who Belinda Clark was until I came off the field and the team told me, so like, it's very special and I'm very humbled and it's pretty surreal, like, it hasn't really sunk in yet. Kerr had only just turned 16 when she burst onto the international scene as a spin bowler. But for White Ferns coach Hayley Tiffin, herself a former captain of the side, it was never going to be long before the tyro of the team proved his skills as a dual threat. I've always known that Mamelia has huge potential with the bat and I genuinely think she'll be a top-class all-rounder for the team and no doubt about it she'll be batting in the top order for the future of the White Ferns. So that's what we saw first and foremost, the point of difference with the spin bowling, but the fact that she's actually gone out and worked really hard on her batting. Huge, talented player and at 17 she's got the world ahead of her. Backing up that very statement, Kerr came out after her record-breaking innings and returned the superb figures of five wickets for just 17 runs. Proving her feet are very firmly on the ground, the uber-talented teen says she can't claim all the credit for her simply stunning all-round display. I actually didn't think Susie was going to bowl me today. I thought she was just going to let me have a rest. I was fielding in slips, so I didn't need to do too much running. But yeah, got to have a bowl, which was nice, and the wicket was turning. I guess it's just one of those days, and I had a bit of luck along the way as well. That humble nature... And her success, Tawa College Principal Murray Lucas says, is a product of growing up in a place where community and family play a leading role. The daughter of former Wellington representative Robbie, Kerr's grandfather is a former principal at the school, her grandmother the former head of music, and her aunt and uncle both current teachers. Just three days ago, 
Former Tawa College pupil Sophie Devine hit the fastest century in the history of women's one-day internationals. Lucas says a text school prefect Kerr sent him when the team arrived in the UK epitomises what makes her such a remarkable young woman. She said, arrived in England yesterday and off to Ireland tomorrow. Hope you enjoy your long weekend and get a little bit of a break. And that's just typical of her. All my teachers have been amazing and have made it very easy for me to balance my schoolwork and cricket without having any stress. So that's the other thing that I would love to bring out, that here's someone on the top of the world, but she's still is disciplined and determined with her studies. Her participation alongside the world's best players in the English T20 League means Kerr won't be back at school for a while. When she does eventually return, Lucas says there will only be one person who won't revel in her record-breaking feats. She won't be back till middle of Term 3, but certainly will be recognising her. But the person that would most dislike that will be merely herself. Moti hotaka o te nei, ko Clay Wilson aho. Moving to a slightly bigger round ball now, the Football World Cup kicked off this morning with hosts Russia crushing Saudi Arabia in the opening match of the tournament 5-0. Joining me to talk all about this is Max Toll, co-host of RNZ's Football World Cup podcast, Squeaky Bum Time. Max, 5-0 to Russia. Um, Who would have picked that? I don't think anyone was expecting a 5-0 drubbing um, mainly because I don't think any of us expected Russia to be any good. I'm not sure we can even now say that they're very good, but we can say that Saudi Arabia are absolutely useless. They look like a team of amateurs. It's funny, they if you look at the statistics of the game, they actually had more possession. They had 59% possession. They just couldn't keep the ball. Russia would uh, Russia was deliberately trying to play on the counter-attack. Saudi Arabia would string about 10 passes together between their defenders and then kick it long and lose it. So it wasn't a great game for the neutrals, but uh, yeah, we got to see five goals, which is a hell of a lot more than you'd get in most World Cup openers. Yeah, I think it even took uh, RNT Pacific sport reporter Vinnie Wiley by surprise who had a bit of money on the Russians to uh, to lose the opening game to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> but unfortunately, uh, he won't be walking away with uh, any winnings. Um, I guess looking ahead to the weekend, there's uh, quite a number of uh, interesting line- or matchups rather this weekend, isn't there? Yeah, I, there's an absolutely titanic clash tomorrow morning at 6am if you want to set your alarm clock. Spain against Portugal, the great rivals. Uh, they're obviously the two heavily favoured teams in that group. Uh, Iran and Morocco are the other two. So I think the winner of that game, if there is a winner, will determine who finishes top of that group. Um, yeah, uh, two rivals, but both countries... Uh, for different reasons, are in a, are in a bit of state, a bit of a state of chaos at the moment. Spain, of course, fired their national team manager Wednesday night, days before their opening fixture, after he uh, announced that he was taking another job straight after uh, straight after the World Cup. Unfortunately, uh, he only gave the Spanish Football Federation five minutes' notice, so <laughs> they were a bit hurt. I think they had hurt feelings, and they they sacked him. So they've got a new new stand-in manager for the tournament. So it'd be interesting to see how they perform without that continuity. And then Portugal, um, one of their biggest clubs, one of their biggest domestic clubs, uh, Sporting Lisbon, has collapsed financially, collapsed. And uh, there are a few Lisbon players in the team. It'd be interesting to see 
uh, how they perform if they're worried about the, their jobs and, and what they'll come back to next season. Uh, the other games uh, on the radar, Argentina-Iceland could potentially be a bit of an upset. Um, France-Australia, I'm not sure that's a potential upset. And um, a kind of a purists, uh, an interesting game for the purists between uh, Uruguay and Egypt that um, could, could, yeah, it could, uh, could, we're waiting on the fitness of Egypt's star player Mo Salah. If he plays, um, yeah, it could be a, a real interesting battle. I think Egypt could surprise a few people there. Uh, a lot of people are expecting Uruguay to top that group, even ahead of Russia. Um, I guess that also, that Mo Salah sort of brings us to the next point, storylines. Um, what sort of storylines have we got coming up in the week? What do you expect to be uh, sort of leading the news sites on, regarding the Football World Cup? I mean, not to uh, pour water over this party, but uh, I think it's going to be inevitable that uh, this World Cup makes headlines for the wrong reasons. Um, and of course, while the World Cup takes place, the football takes centre stage and all the sort of political and social uh, issues are relegated to the sidelines. But it definitely is worth talking about, if, you, if you're talking about storylines, the fact that uh, the World Cup is being held in a country where um, LGBTQI people face serious social and legal obstacles. L- gay people have been warned against even travelling to Russia for the World Cup. This is a country where racist chants, you know... Uh, monkey impressions and neo-Nazi songs can be seen and heard at domestic league games. And on top of that, we've got the 2022 World Cup to look forward to, which is being held in Qatar. Uh, Two great, great countries in terms of their human rights record. Uh, That would be the number one storyline for me. Gee, there's a lot to look out for then. Now, um, also to look out for is your podcast, Squeaky Bum Time. When can we expect to hear that uh, later in the week? Well, our episodes come out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and uh, as, actually as we speak on Friday afternoon, our latest episode has just gone live. We'll have a new episode on Monday. Uh, <laughs> yeah, old newspapers will be thrown out in the trash, and there'll be new storylines and hot topics to talk about. So basically, you can, uh, if you check out our homepage, we're also on iTunes and Spotify, pretty easy to find if you just give us a Google. If you, if you check us out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoons, after about two o'clock, we'll we'll be there and uh, we'll be we'll be providing our velvety tone, tones for your ears. I cannot wait to listen. Uh, thanks, Max. I appreciate the time. That is Max Toll from Squeaky Bum Time. The Tall Blacks will again be missing New Zealand basketball's biggest star for the upcoming World Cup qualifiers against Hong Kong and China. Stephen Adams has once again turned his back on the Tall Blacks, making himself unavailable for selection in the games in Auckland and his hometown of Rotorua. The Oklahoma City Thunder centre has never played for the Tall Blacks, but always said he would when the time is right. Adams is currently in New Zealand on holiday and is expected to be around in August as well, following the recent NBA season. Joining me now is RNZ Auckland sport reporter Clay Wilson, Clay, uh, what do we know about why he has decided to not be available again? The truth is, Matt, we don't know a lot. Um, even Torblex coach Paul Hanari doesn't actually know a lot about what's going on here. Um, I guess we can assume his, his reasons, uh, his his highly lucrative contract, but we haven't actually heard a lot from Stephen Adams himself. Of course, he's been in the country for a number of weeks until uh, just a few days ago, we understand, but we haven't actually heard from him. He 
did a few media opportunities where basketball was strictly off the agenda. So we didn't discover anything there. We haven't heard any statements from his, his um, I guess, his media minders uh, around here. So we don't really know a lot. I guess we can assume the reasons, but we haven't heard from the man himself about why he's decided not to play this time around. And uh, why is this causing much more debate this time around, do you think? It's a bit of a perfect storm in basketball terms, really, this time around. Um, I guess the timing is really seen as perfect. Um, not only is it smack bang right in the middle of the NBA offseason, um, the OKC Thunder team he plays for had a pretty early exit from the playoffs, meaning that he's had a bit of time to recover from that, and there's time after these games, uh, before the NBA preseason even starts, um, also, he's not really carrying any injury niggles of note and, I guess, developmentally as a player, he's had a really strong season. And as opposed to previous years, he's in less of a position where he needs to develop things with his games, which has been used as reasoning in the past. So it's sort of hard to understand uh, why he he wouldn't play without hearing from the man himself. So uh, I guess that's why certain people are... A little bit confused, others not so, others seem to still support him in his decision, but I guess it's certainly created some debate around when he, if and when he is going to pull on the Tall Blacks jumper. Yeah, it certainly is a polarising issue, I suppose you'd say. Um, do you think we're ever going to see him in a Tall black singlet? Yeah, I don't know if we know any more about that at the moment, to be honest. Uh, the next major event for the Tall Blacks is next year's World Cup. Now, when Paul Hanari spoke on this to media a couple of days ago, what he did mention was um, Sean Marks, who, of course, was the first Kiwi to play in the NBA, one of the most well-known faces in terms of a Kiwi NBA player. And Hanari mentioned when he was playing for the Tall Blacks that Marks didn't play that often, but did play for some marquee events. Now, I asked... Uh, Paul Hanari, if he expected Stephen Adams to play the World Cup and if he would like him to play games. Before that, uh, he was fairly lukewarm on that, suggesting that they they did have a couple of other windows towards the end of this year, which were possibilities, but that seems unlikely. Um, If he is ever going to play, I would suggest next year's World Cup is where we might see him, but it really is hard at this point to say if we're going to see him at all. Um, He seems obviously quite, uh, he's placing quite a lot of importance, and and rightly so, you could argue, on on this huge contract he has in securing his future. Um, So I guess, yeah, next year's World Cup is September, so just over a year away, so it may not be until then, until we we know uh, if he's going to, Come out of come out of this like self-imposed, not really an exile, but just not playing for the for the Tall Blacks um, to to play at a major event like that. Finally, pole vaulter Eliza McCartney is excited about the prospect of a full European season. McCartney, the Rio Olympic bronze medalist, left this week to spend the next three months competing in Europe. The 21-year-old set a personal best of 4.85 metres at the opening Diamond League meeting in Oregon last month. Before leaving, she told Barry Guy that after a 2017 season beset by injuries, she's well prepared this time. I've learned a lot and I'm always going to keep learning. I think it's um, quite important as an athlete, I think, to remember that, you know, there's always things that you can be learning and um so I'm very open to that, and certainly with the injuries I've had, I have learnt a lot, and I think I've learnt more about just my own body and how it reacts to different circumstances and how um, it reacts to injuries and what injuries it is prone to, and with my medical team, I think we've got a good understanding now. I mean, it doesn't mean that things won't pop up, but um, I think I understand how my body reacts a lot better now, and I 
seem to be weak to tendon issues, so that's an obvious one. So I'm always keeping an eye on that now. And there's just little things in terms of injury that um, I know my body a lot better now, and hopefully that can carry through for the rest of my career. Um, but I've learned all sorts of things as well, like how to handle being on the circuit and, and what it's like to be away from home for all that time and all sorts of things like that. So um, I think I'm as well equipped as I could be going into the season, but that doesn't mean to say that um, I won't learn a lot and be better equipped for the next years to come. What sort of heights, what what sort of, you know, records or, you know, what might you think might happen this year? You know, five metres, those sorts of things. You know, there's plenty of things to chase this year. Oh, there is plenty of things to chase. And that, that's why it's so important for me to be injury-free and healthy this whole season because the more competitions I do, already just the likelihood of me jumping higher has just increased massively. <laughs> so it's just so important that I get out in all those competitions because I know I can do um, much higher heights than I have been at the moment. And I've been showing them in training and even in competition of kind of been showing that when I clear a bar I tend to clear it um, by quite a lot which is awesome but I'd like to clear the next highest one (laughs) and not just clear the low ones by quite a lot so there's there's definitely obvious room for improvement um, and higher heights but it's it's you know, it's what happens on the day. It's the conditions. It's who you're facing. It's it's everything that's come together on that day. So it's easy to say that you're jumping well in training, but you have to be able to pull it out in different competitions and different circumstances. So I just want to get out there and compete at all the comps I can, and and hopefully that means that there'll be one where the conditions are right and it all works really well. Is it your obvious, you know, young bubbly nature does that help or? You know, does it affect the way you jump at all? Because I imagine there are, there are huge pressures when you come to a competition. Well, yeah, there can be, but I think it kind of ends up. Most of the pressure comes from yourself, really. <laughs> it's especially you pulling yourself to do well that day, and and that's what brings a lot of the nerves and all of that sort of thing. Um, so it's it's learning to control that, but at the same time, pressure can be good because it can translate into adrenaline and and good nerves. And it's just I think it's just really the way that you choose to handle and control it. So I think I guess I've had quite a bit of experience, obviously competing under pressure at big competitions, but it's it's still always nerve wracking, and I still always. Um, you know, feel sick and get nervous before competition, but that, that's just the way it is and I don't think it would ever really change. That was New Zealand pole vaulter Eliza McCartney talking to Barry Guy. And that's extra time for this week. If you have any feedback on this week's podcast, feel free to email us at sport at radionz.co.nz or you can also reach us on Twitter, yes we do use it, at RNZ Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton, have a great weekend. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.